Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I'm Ann Roby, an HR executive and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. So we have a guest today who I just absolutely love. Kara Jones is joining us. Kara is a story coach, a writer, former Emmy award-winning journalist. She's also the founder of a film production company called Storytellers for Good and the director of the film Blessed Child. But I know Kara because we both were students at New Ventures West, now graduates of New Ventures West. And New Ventures does this really cool thing where they invite their grads to come back and share some of their amazing wisdom, the things that they're working on. And let me tell y'all, when I, I think I've only done a couple of those and, you know, they're solidly good, but wow, when Kara came in, I was just blown away. And it, it happened that a friend of mine also was in the session and we were like going back and forth saying, who is this woman? Like she's magical in the way that she asks questions and really kind of gets down to the root of things. And so I actually joined Kara's program called Untether Your Voice and worked together with maybe 10-ish other women or so for about nine months. And really, that was the beginnings of some of the writing some of you may have seen me doing on LinkedIn, and really the beginnings of a lot with Sherry and I as well with this podcast, because one of the things that Kara does so well, she really encourages everybody to really use their voices and to tell their stories. And so Kara, I'd love to start right there. I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, your journey, how you got to where you are now. You've had quite a few interesting things happen along the route. Um, so please just jump in, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and how you got here. Mm, thank you so much, Anne. I feel equally blessed to know you and so inspired to see you uh, in this role of using your voice and exploring imperfection as a theme. <laughs> it feels perfect. <laughs> we feel very qualified to explore imperfection <laughs> as a theme. PhDs in imperfection. Yeah. So there's the headline version of my story, which you know goes into the two sentence description in the film that I made, Blessed Child, which is that I grew up in what many consider to be a cult, a group called the Unification Church, otherwise known as the Moonies. And I went on this, you know, many decade journey of leaving the church, even though I left when I was uh, in my 20s. It was in my 30s that I discovered that I hadn't quite left. So there's a headline version of the right story. And then there's the, the deeper version of my story. And in my work, I always encourage people to go to the deepest place in their story, because that's where even though it's counterintuitive, like who cares about all the details and the depth of my story? It's actually in that place where we find the more universal story, the deeper that we go into our own story, the more universally it can be connected to. And so other than the more wild details of, you know, the arranged marriage and the mass wedding and, and some of the unique aspects of this group that I was raised in. I grew up in a family with four brothers in upstate New York, and my parents had joined this movement. My dad had formerly been an atheist and watched his parents separate and had a distant relationship with his father. And Reverend Moon was a father figure to him. Uh, my mom came from a strong Catholic background. Her sister was a nun. And she wasn't looking to join another faith, but somehow felt the call. And so they were the, kind of radical for where they came from. 
back uh, in the 70s and raised us in this religion. And from when I was a baby, my parents were often asked to go do mission work for the church. It was a very high demand group. And there was a belief at the core of it that Reverend Moon was a messiah and that he was Mm. here to save the world. And you know, we're here at the same time, we got to let people know. And so there were a lot of demands placed on the membership to like go out. Even if you have young kids, my, my mom was called multiple times to do mission work for the church. And so I was, when I was six weeks old, she uh, left for what ended up being a few years. She would come and visit here and there, but was mostly gone. And I was raised along with my older brother in a church nursery. And so when my parents came back, you know, and then we had other brothers and uh, I quickly took on the role of the good girl, Mm. right? The one who did all the things she was supposed to and made the sandwiches for everyone, (laughs) you know, was the quiet one around the dinner table. And, and there was such a strong belief system surrounding our family culture of like, this is the way it is. And this is who we are. And we are blessed children. And this is the Messiah. And we are this blessed family. And so it didn't leave a lot of space for my own truth or to even know what that was. And and so I quickly, you know, went on the path of what I should do and what the rule said and leading me to you know, 1995, where I stood in the Seoul Olympic Stadium with 10,000 other couples and said yes to marrying a man that I had met a month before, that I was arranged with using eight by 10 photographs by Reverend Moon. And even though in the pit of my gut, there was this moment that day and a few times leading up to that day, it's like, Ah, this is not the way I imagined it feeling. Right. So, I, and so let's just pull on that a teeny bit because I think what I saw in the film, and so correct me if I'm wrong. And by, by the way, for our listeners, please go watch this film. It's available on Amazon Prime Video. It's amazing. One of the things that seemed like you were really into it, like really into it, you were leading prayer meetings and you were kind of advocating and, you know, you were sort of out there and very front and center. And so you, you had this belief this was the right thing, but there like you just said, there was this moment or this pit in your stomach. And so where was that disconnect coming from, do you think? Yeah. So like you said, as a young person, I was, I mean, I went through a phase. I went through, you know, you look at all the pendulum slips in hindsight or yep. shifts in hindsight. And it was like, well, I smoked when I was 11. <laughs> I had this like rebellious part of me, but then you know, I pendulum shifted back into, you know, the Sunday school teacher and the A students and yeah, leading the charge and organizing prayer meetings for my brothers every night in the backyard, like shouting prayers to our suburban neighbors. kids, <laughs> 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 and, and I really believed in hindsight, it was, a, I had a role in this organization, right? Like we were taught that we were these blessed children that were in some ways, a shade holier than the rest of humanity, right? Like we didn't have original sin. And so I, you know, from a sense of, well, you know, my parents aren't around, I don't know who I am to like, okay, now I have this role, right? I I just fit right in and and everything made sense. Even though to the quote unquote outside world, which we used to call it, it's like, okay, so you're not drinking, you're not dating. I went to public school, but I had this whole set of other rules that I live by you're going to get this arranged marriage like that to the outside world. It didn't make sense to me. It made total sense until I was matched. And all of a sudden it didn't feel the way that I imagined it. Mm. 
And you know, I was raised with this idea that you should be able to love anyone. And if you struggle, that that's part of your spiritual path of opening your heart. Mm. But even though I knew that, and even though I did this sort of scenario planning, I'm like, okay, I could love that person. I could love that person. And, and the person that I was matched with was a very wonderful person. We were just very young. I didn't have a sense of attraction for him. Yeah. And so it was in that stadium where I felt those first, like, maybe this is not the way it's supposed to feel, but I'm still going to yell yes with everyone else in yeah. unison anyway. And so, you know, all, all along the way, there's this, I can see aspects of like a natural born truth teller that were in me as a kid mm. that got buried. And, you know, I continue to bury that in my marriage because there was this whole belief system that didn't really allow for it not to work. And so much so that I didn't even know how, what my truth was or how to tell it to the extent that the only way I could tell it was to start drinking and, you know, cheat on my husband. Right. <laughs> that was the language of my truth because I, I just didn't have the capacity. And so this film, I think was uh, in some ways in the work that I do, I often see people's lives are not linear, but come back in spirals. And we so often are learning the same lesson, but just in a different way with different circumstances. And it doesn't even mean that we failed or like we didn't get it the first time. It's just, we're learning it in a deeper way. And yeah. for me, I, you know, I went on and like left the church uh, after the marriage didn't work out and just sort of flailed around in the world <laughs> trying to date and trying to figure out who I was. It just like, it was a very tumultuous decade of all that. And, you know, it was in my late thirties that uh, I was at Burning Man of all places, <laughs> very uh, far cry from the religious world that I was raised in. And um, I had done a mushroom trip for the first time and randomly Reverend Moon appeared in my mushroom trip. And then I was thinking about him, you know, because at the, the last day, you, the man at the center of the whole camp burns, like he burns down. And, and I was thinking about like how much of a, a role that Reverend Moon had played in my life and had been the center of my life. And he, you know, that I was just thinking about him. And then I'm driving out of Burning Man as soon as the text reception comes in and I get these texts from friends who are saying, did you see the news and uh, that he died, right? Wow. So he passed away during wow. that time. And I just felt this, just a strong calling that had, the seeds of that had been there, but there was a strong sense, like, you got to tell the story. And I went into this journey thinking, oh, I'm just going to tell everyone else's story and I went to Korea for the funeral just days after I got back from Burning Man, just knowing that if I didn't try to tell this story now, I probably never would. And it would keep haunting me. So I went, do it, started doing all these test interviews with other people who were raised in the church who happened to be there, mostly who are still in the church and started plotting out, okay, we could follow three people and go deep into their lives. And then the more I got into it, the more I realized that the only story I had the depth of access to that I wanted and, and also seeing some of my own triggers going back, like, oh, maybe I'm not as resolved with this as I thought. Maybe there's something there. So over what became a seven-year journey of making the film, it, it got all the more personal. And going back to that truth-telling thing, 
um, it was a, a powerful experience for me. And, you know, I think we come to these crossroads in life where we either have to tell the truth or like bite our lip and be haunted by our unlived life. Right? Wow, it's beautiful. I'm really struck by this distinction between using your voice and finding your truth. Mm. Because you made a comment earlier about you'd be outside shouting prayers and right being very vocal about the things you thought you should be vocal about. And it's such an interesting distinction that you were using your voice, but it wasn't your truth. Mm. And so, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because it's beautiful, just really Sherry. struck me. Yeah. I mean, so many of us, so much of the world is using its voice. <laughs> using <laughs> so true. Its voice. You can right. hear them, but are right. they speaking their truth? And whose voice is it if they're if we're not speaking our truth? And my uh, belief and why I call my program Untether Your Voice is that I believe your voice is ultimately your unique expression of truth. Your truest voice is your own unique expression of truth, which is most powerfully expressed through the telling of one story and the making sense of one story. So yeah, so there's many ways along the way that I use my voice, shouting in the stadium, you know, street preaching in Times Square <laughs> on the corner. <laughs> yeah, it was all part of maturation too. It was, you know, I I didn't know at the time that that, that was happening, but I, it felt somewhat true. But I think as we mature and evolve, you know, even now I look back at three years ago and I'm like, well, I was using my voice, but was that the truest voice? And, you know, there's just, it, there's also it, something about it being true in the moment, right? Yeah. Because I, I don't think I've, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I've ever heard you say, well, you know, all the teachings were bad or I reject everything that they were about. Um, I just, that's just not what I've heard you say at all. And so I, you know, there's also truth in the moment. And as you said, even like three years ago, even, I don't know, three minutes ago, who knows, right? Like we continue to evolve, right? And as we do, then we get more access perhaps to more of who we truly are, more of our understanding of the world. And it sort of makes sense that we continue to evolve. Absolutely. You know, I love what you said about this. It really could only be your story because I think you could have told a much more salacious tale if you wanted to. I really appreciate the fact that you ended up telling your story. So just can we explore that a little bit more? Why was that more important than an expose or telling the story of three people that you met when you were in Korea? Why was that so important to you? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I used to be a, a news reporter and I know the power of a salacious headline yeah. and the sellability of that. And it was really tempting the whole journey to go that route and not just tempting because it was, I had access, but because there were funders and grants available who are more interested in that version of the story. Mm. The truth is there are people who grew up the way that I did that had really terrible experiences, Mm. you know, either through their own family and failings of their own parents or through things that happened in the structure of the church. And that wasn't my experience. And so I honor that, that there's a whole range of experience and, you know, some who are only positive, (laughs) you can't see anything negative at all. And who are like, you know, sometimes rightfully so like really painful, messed up, 
stuff. Yeah. I don't know if swear words are allowed on this podcast. I'll just go for it. it. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> we don't have a little E rating yet, but we're trying. Yeah. We're on our way. We are definitely on our way. <laughs> the truth of my experience was that it was complex. Mm-hmm. And in a world that likes to make things black and white on many levels, politically and socially and in the depth of my heart. And when I really had quiet moments about it, I, I wanted to honor my experience, which is like, when we say cult, we have a certain stereotype and we think in black and whites that it must've been awful. And you must've had to escape the compound and be haunted forever, deprogrammed and all these things that come to mind. And And there was some messed up shit, right? And there was also some really beautiful things. And I feel like, so there was that the big picture of it. And then there was the big picture of my family unit and how, you know, the church actually, what I came to understand in my interviewing of my parents in a way that I didn't fully appreciate is the way that it was a healing agent in their life, Mm. given what they had had happened to them in their childhoods. And, you know, at least for one or the of my brothers that, you know, he has a marriage that worked out. They have six children, you know, there's been more positive than negative. And, and then I have other brothers that have been really hurt by it and, and my own experience. And so I think the conversation is deeper and more interesting with the complexity I think we need more complex stories in our world. And, you know, there were times, truthfully, along the journey of making the film, there were so many iterations I, you would, I would be just so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> but there were times when I felt like I had to make it more dramatic, right? And like mm-hmm. yell at my parents or I had this <laughs> one phase where I acted out the whole, my whole story as part of a storytelling performance class. And we filmed that. And I was like yelling and and it was like, I was just trying to make the story more dramatic. And I had the gift of people outside of the story who in the end could say, Kara, just tell the story, like Mm. the story, just be yourself, talk to your parents in the way that you would usually talk to them. And just, and it's interesting, right? And so going back to the truth thing, like I wanted to honor the truth of my experience, which was, it was complex. I wanted to honor the truth of who I am, which is I'm not like a get in your face, screaming, (laughs) screaming into the wind kind of person. And so I had to do it in a way that aligned with who I am. Well, and I have to say, having not met you before today, there was a lot of dramatic tension in in the film. And something that was so impactful in your film was when your father says, our relationship with you is more important than our relationship to the church. And that was one of the moments where I had lots of water coming out of my eyes. And it was, first, it was just such a beautiful moment of humanity and such an incredibly sweet moment. And it also, the thought that went through my mind is, this is not at all how I think about cults, right? My stereotype of a cult is that if you're going to leave this group, if you're going to leave the Unification Church, if you're going to leave the Moonies, then your parents are going to have to choose between you and and the church. I'm curious, was that something 
unique to your family? Was that something that is, no, it's not quite cult-like in that way? It's just, I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about that as it relates to your family. Yeah. So I think I am aware of how fortunate I am that along, along with me, my parents have also evolved from the early days. And I had had this imprint from my previous college experience where uh, when the marriage was coming apart, I had this big confrontation with my parents and it set this imprint that like, if I leave, their love will be gone. (laughs) Even though they would still have loved me, but I just felt like it would never be the same. And I think you know, they had asked me to drop out of school. They were so worried and we had this huge blow up and it was a very impactful part of my life to feel that rupture there. And some parents would stay that way and still are that way who are in the church. <laughs> like you leave, you're dead to me. And, you know, I think whether you're in a religion or just a family out in the world. I, I like to say that every family is a cult to some extent. <laughs> so, tr- so, so true, true. actually. <laughs> right. We all have these norms that we're raised with and these sort of invisible fences that we're given, like, do not cross this. And so I, my parents have evolved and, you know, all of us, we have, you know, there's five of us and the unique paths of each one of my brothers, which sort of went, with the exception of one, went against everything they had planned right? And it had a way of softening and opening them and they were willing to be softened and opened. And so I I think they are unique and uh, their willingness to participate in this project even, I think is unique. And I give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. And just related to the whole, um, you know, your, our relationship with you is more important than the church. You know, they had given me some indication about that over the years, obviously we had repaired our relationship when we're going along, but there was still that deep imprint of that early experience that, that my hearing those words from my dad was a deeply healing thing and having them, having him say those words out loud and in the editing process, having to listen to them again, (laughs) again, again, right. That was really important. And I think speaks to the value of having these honest conversations with people that we love. And it, for me, it took having the camera there, honestly, sometimes and knowing that I was committed to doing this work and, you know, multiple interviews over the years that helped us get to that point where that could be shared and I could receive it. And, and it was uh, profound for me. Well, it was such a beautiful moment. And I'm, I'm so glad you told us a little bit more about it because it really, I mean, to, same thing with, like Sherry just said, I mean, it was just so moving. I mean, it was, it felt healing to me. I wasn't even the one it was directed towards. So it was really, really beautiful. It it also, um, I mean, a major thrust of the film seems to be this connection between family and the church you you all were in. And you lay out this beautiful metaphor about wanting to let go of your dad's hand and cross the road. And, and that there seemed to be, if you had to leave the church, you felt at, at times that it was like leaving your family. So what shifted there? I mean, I really, I mean, I think the last line, if, if I, I don't want to give away the film, but I'm, it's so beautiful. It's that even though I had to leave, I could also stay. And so tell, can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think because uh, as you saw in the film, our family was really close. 
growing up really close. And that closeness was interwoven with a belief system that in some ways was part of the closeness because we were separate from the world in a way we bonded even more closely. And, and so there was this belief that if we took the faith away, that closeness would never be there. And I had, I got to reckon with that in the making of this film that, that there was something about, you know, again, and I think this is common of a lot of families. It's like, we got along on the surface. You know, we had this big blow up, like we started to get along, talk about things families talk about over the years, but, but not really go back to that, the depth of what happened and who are we now? And there was something about the film in having that honesty with my parents that helped me discover that through that honesty, I can reclaim a closeness Mm. with them. And so I can stay in relationship with them through truth, even if I don't believe what they believe. Yeah. That continues to serve me. It's not like we had that film moment and and then we just go back to <laughs> the way we were. Like, there's still little moments where there's opportunities to to get to that deeper truth, even if it's not about the past or whatnot, but just to have a more truthful connection in a way that continues to build a new relationship, yeah. a, a more real relationship. That line, even though I had to leave, I could also stay is so applicable on to, to anyone, right? On anything. It's this idea of, I, I hear it as so much about authenticity. Mm. And, and we did an episode on authenticity a couple episodes ago, but this idea of, I can't play this role as I'm playing it anymore. I have to leave, right? I have to leave this role or I have to leave this specific situation but I can also stay as me. Yeah. I can find another way to be in relationship as me. And even though in your case, it was very literal, right? Even though I had to leave the church, I could still stay with my family. I think those are just incredible words for anybody to live by. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's such a beautiful reminder for us that no matter what our situation, it is really about finding our own truth and our own voice. And as Sherry said, that authentic voice. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about how you've transitioned from, you used to be in front of the camera as a journalist, and now you help others really find their voice and find their stories as well. So tell us a little bit about that transition, how that happened and and how it's still continuing to fulfill this dream of, of really untethering your own voice. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I think I've always uh, had an instinct to have a voice. And <laughs> when I was in college and going through all this turmoil, I'm like, I thought I was going to go to law school and I was on that track. And then I'm like, I think I want to be a TV news reporter. <laughs> like out of the blue, my friends were like, what? And I didn't study journalism, but I just was in this sort of risk-taking mode. And I moved to Naples, Florida, which I'd never heard of. You know, you often have to start in these small towns to get started. And going back to your point, Sherry, it was like, I I had a voice. I'm on television. I must have a voice now. (laughs) But there came a point where 
you know, it's funny. People would hear my my physical voice in the news reporter, like Kara Jones, NBC Two News. You know, like is that you? To <laughs> 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 it, and like, it didn't even sound like you. And so, you know, there's an example of having a voice, but you know, yeah. basically reading a script, like literally reading a script, which is I think how we start in in the voice journey. And it became clear to me about eight years into that, in working in Boston, where there were just uh, and any given day, there's some tragedy happening somewhere that we were asked to chase, you know, that I, I didn't want to use my voice in that way uh, anymore. And I had this really awful experience of accidentally informing a woman that her mother had died in a car crash oh, um, in the course of doing my job. And it was a reckoning like this, not, no more of this. And so I went, uh, I took a year off and, and traveled and had my eat, pray, love year. <laughs> <laughs> came out. I said, you, the book hadn't even come out, and I did that. And I just kept uh, you could have been the first one to write the book. <laughs> so I read it. And I'm like, oh my god, this is my story. As many people did. Right? <laughs> so, uh, but what I came back to in that year is the love of storytelling and uh, how much, on the rare occasion where I had an opportunity to really get deep into someone's story and share it and seeing the ripple of that, how meaningful that was to me. And I also started writing letters home like before Facebook about to, to a small email list of people. And I realized how much I loved writing. And so I moved to the Bay area just because I wanted a big change and eventually started this small production company called Storytellers for Good, which was about promoting inspiring stories. And again, getting to tell some of the deeper stories of human transformation. And yet this own story of mine kept haunting me. And I think sometimes when we're drawn to tell other people's stories, mm. there's really, I talk to people all the time, like, I really want to tell everyone's story. And I'm like, okay, what about yours? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's hard. I want to tell everybody else's. <laughs> right. So there was this haunting of telling my own story and, and the process of doing that and the transformation that happened in the process of doing that made it hard for me to want to go back to telling people's stories for them, mm -hmm. right? And, and wanting to really help people go on a, a deeper, almost spiritual journey of understanding and being able to see themselves and, and come back to the truth of who they are and not just tell the story for the sake of learning out all the painful things that happened to them, but tell the story in service, right? Tell the story with a message in mind, uh, with an audience that you want to reach. And discover what you know, right? We, we so often in our culture lean on our resume credentials, right? Mm -hmm. to know what we know. And what I found is there's so much untapped wisdom in one story and true life experience that we embody, but until we claim it, it it's just sort of sitting there. <laughs> and so I take people on this journey of excavating their whole life story. Oh, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> no stone turned. And uh, where, I, where I try to be of support, where others have been to support of me, even as somebody, as a storyteller of many years, I couldn't uh, see my story for mm -hmm. myself. I needed the support of others. It's been described like trying to read the label of the pill bottle from inside, right? Mm. It's very hard to do for yourself. And so... So I try to be that guy that can stand outside your story and say, these are the points that I see. And it's always incredible to me to witness people discovering how some of the most painful parts of their life 
uh, are actually the building blocks of the way they're uniquely here to be of service and that they can be of the deepest service when they create offerings in the world, similar to this podcast, mm. right? That is about Thank imperfection you. that is rooted in that. It's, it's a unique kind of medicine that you have because of your unique struggle. Yeah. And so I'm curious all along the way, both helping others sort of untether their voice and, and indeed you yourself untethering your voice. Do you have certain practices or things that have helped you to really ground you or to inspire others to do that? Other things that really help get you there? Yeah. So um, I have a lot of practices <laughs> that I'll do to keep me alive. Yep. You know, I, I tell people, you know, the message that you have for the world, if you still struggle with it, that's a sign that it's your message. <laughs> <laughs> You're uniquely qualified to support others who struggle with that. So the untethering my voice is something that I, that I work with every day. And I think because I grew up in an environment where there was one Messiah, right? Who knew all the answers and that I looked to the church, right? To him in a way to know what those answers were. One of the most powerful sort of uh, realm of practices for me is when I create space in a regular way to know what I know. Right. And so the storytelling is part of that. Like, Oh, I know this from the journey of my story, but like every day there's things that I know that I don't, remind myself that I know. Right? Right. And so uh, the practice of free writing has been really helpful for me. And just like, sometimes I'll write down like, what do I know? What's, what's really happening here? And just downloading from myself, what I know. And also uh, I've done an inquiry practice over the years mm-hmm. where, you know, I sit with another and each give each other space for 10 or 15 minutes to source our own answers. Yeah. And in a world again, that is wanting to convince us that we don't know enough, that we're not enough. I find the consistent practice of reminding myself what I know Mm -hmm. and tuning into my heart has been so necessary to continue to walk this path. Beautiful. Mm. That is so beautiful. So you have I think it's fair to say, probably done more than the average amount of work of going back and really learning from everything that's happened in your life. And as we often say, like looking at those parts of your life that felt so imperfect and really in retrospect, like led you to where you are, right? Having this really authentic voice. And so with all this work you've done and all this inner wisdom you've cultivated, if you could go back in time, right, to that, like, young child that is struggling to find your place in the family, in the world, what would you like to whisper in her ear? Mm. Yeah, I mean, looking back, I feel like I had to walk the course that I did to be here and things will continue to happen in my life <laughs> that even if my future self told future self told me right in this moment that I would still have to walk that path yeah I think about this question in terms of my daughter mm. and who's four and a half and it's just a lively salty and sweet <laughs> 
<laughs> like her mama. She's <laughs> like going to barrel through the world. And, um, and I think about like what I want to give her. Mm. Well, I know that I was loved, you know, because of all of the messaging of the culture that I was raised in, there was a sense of like, if I don't follow this path, I'm not going to be loved. And I, I, I want to give my daughter a sense of, of as much as possible, like full acceptance of who she is. Mm, and I heard this line from a Fred Rogers documentary, you know, that when, when children aren't accepted, they can't grow. Mm. And so I want to give the gift of a full acceptance of who she, uh, of who she is as a path for her unfoldment and, Talk to me when she's 14. <laughs> Challenge in that, but I think the more we can love and, and, and allow our kids to feel fully accepted, you know, despite like other cultural forces that are out there, even beyond our own families that might make them feel otherwise. Um, that's, that's what I'm committed to. And what an incredible gift we could also each give to ourselves. Right. Right. Is this gift of full acceptance would just be so beautiful. It's amazing. Carrie, you've given us so much to think about today. And we're going to, for our listeners, we're going to put a link to the film and other ways to get in touch with Kara into the show notes. You know, often we will end on a quote uh, that we found that we think is, is pertinent, usually by somebody else. But I got to tell you, the one I wrote down that I'm just going to quote me some Kara Jones right now is tell the truth or be haunted by our unlived life. What amazing advice. So that's going to wrap up our episode for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend or give us a rating on iTunes or post it on your own social media. And please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. 